You're listening to the Small Moves Podcast. Small steps for big progress. With your host, Jason Hertzberger. Your next step starts now. Hey everybody, this is your host, Jason Hertzberger, and you're listening to episode eight of the Small Moves Podcast with a friend of mine, Arvind Budrum. This is a little bit of a case study sort of an episode. Arvind isn't particularly a subject matter expert in some as you've come to be used to with this show so far. Arvind is another guy that's a friend of mine who um, I met through my wife, sort of friend of a friend sort of a thing. Arvind has made a pretty shocking shift in his life over the last maybe six to eight years with regards to getting a lot more active, uh, finding jobs, getting outside of the mainstream corporate world and going into startups, um, being a little bit more nimble that way. He's a software developer by trade. Um, He and his wife, Angel, recently moved from Manhattan to Austin, Texas, one of my favorite spots around the U.S., um, and they're in the process of trying to build a life there for with each other. It's a, It was a really exciting conversation for me because Arvind is a fantastic example for people that are looking to make changes in their lives but don't really know exactly how or that might find the process of improvement a little overwhelming. Arvind's got a really great strategy that he uses to try and make improvements in different areas. We're going to get into it in the show, so I don't want to give it away here. But it was a fascinating conversation. Arvin's a really fascinating guy, and I really think that you're going to enjoy this conversation. We're going to get into a lot of the books that he gets into that kind of helps to influence his strategy that he came up with, which is the one that seems to be able to work for him. And then we'll actually get into the strategy itself. Um, It was great. I really had fun with it. And I hope you guys do too. Um, Without any further ado, here is Arvind Boudram. Hey, this is John Lee Dumas of EO Fire, and you're listening to the Small Moves Podcast, small steps for big progress. Let's prepare to ignite. Arvind, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. Yeah, man. Um, I was getting into your introduction a little bit um, about just so that the listeners can have a general idea, sort of your background and who you are. Uh, but I want to I want to kind of step back a second, let you explain it a little bit. I mean, just generally, what they know at the moment is you know you were you were raised around New York City. You were working for HBO. You left HBO, you know, sometime in the last like maybe seven or eight years, and went to a startup called Shopkeep. Then you got married, and then the whole thing fell apart. You moved across you moved across the country down to one of my favorite cities in the world, Austin, Texas, which is where you are right now. Um, the, the format of this show is going to be a little bit different than the other ones that have been released recently. This is a little bit more of a case study kind of a conversation because everybody else that's been interviewed so far on the show, uh, yes, obviously they're regular everyday people that happen to have jobs doing certain things, but they all seem to be particular sort of specialists in whatever area that they've had some success in, and I've just sort of probed them about something in their field of expertise that the listenership can try to implement to try and make a little bit of progress here and there. 
you're a little bit different in that you're very similar to a lot of people where, yes, you know, you live here, you're doing this job, you're getting married, but you realize that life could be a little bit better, you know, with with a few little tweaks here and there. And um, as I mentioned in the intro for the listeners, you've undergone a transformation that is shocking to a lot of people over such a relatively short period of time. So I, I wanted to see if you could just kind of go into explaining that course to the listeners a little bit about sort of, you know, where, where'd you start? You were, you know, you were out of college, you were, go- you were working at HBO, you were spending your time doing, you know, stuff that now might seem like a little bit of a waste of time, maybe not. Um, and then it, something happened and that brought you to sort of where you are now after making a couple of changes. So if you wouldn't mind just kind of walking the listeners through that path a little bit, and then we'll sort of bounce back and forth as stuff comes up. Uh, sure. Um, so starting at just my first real gig at working at HBO out of school, um, by all means, that's a place that I could have very easily retired at. Great place to work, great colleagues and so on. Sure. Um, I think I had been... Uh, given the opportunity on a project to to really take ownership of like a section of it. And I did really well and I had a very good time doing it. And I noticed that, you know, when I felt like a cog in the wheel in some other projects, it, I didn't feel as good about myself as when I had ownership and I had stake in a particular uh, application we were building. And what happened was other opportunities came about where I realized I would get that feeling more often. Um, and that's kind of where, what put me in the position of looking for some sort of change um, from that position that I easily could have just stayed at for the rest of my life. Um, so I moved on to Shopkeep um, during that. At that. That's the impetus that pushed me to move over to Shopkeep. And you know, the difference there right away really, uh, it, it met my expectations. So the people I was with, they challenged me in ways I wasn't challenged before. Um, the opportunities I got, the responsibility that I got all sort of um, gave me this feeling of, hey, I, I really enjoy doing this. I really like doing this. And um, that's really the, the thing that was a big change for me. Got it. So what the so the move the move to shopkeep was just more centered around <laughs> kind of you have a little bit more control of your own destiny I guess it, you know you're provided a little bit more of a leadership role. Um, it's not even necessarily a leadership role. It's just like the the feeling of being connected to the business. I think is really what was different. So like with shopkeep, the first day you deploy the app to production, and we have some 20,000 customers that are affected by that change. And it's, it's very visceral. It's very real. You feel like you're, you're close to the metal. Um, and it's very different from a more corporate position where it's like, Oh, don't worry. Don't, you can't, if, if you screw up, no customers will know. It'll be <laughs> it wasn't, fun. they'll know it wasn't you. Yeah. yeah no one will know it was you. Um, and it was a very different kind of feeling, um, which I enjoyed. You know, I, and that's and that's funny because it's it, it's it's a lot. It's funny because a pretty big share of the population, I'm sure, will tend will tend more to run to the other extreme. They're like, uh, 
if but if I go over here, if I screw up, no one will know. It's a safe place. It's a nice warm place. You know, where if you know, if things go great, good, you know, thing things work out. If things don't so go so great, oh well, you know, like it's not it's not like the world's gonna collapse in on my head. Yeah, whereas like the startup world, it's tr- and it's true from people that I talk to, you know, in the startup world, every single employee, especially early on, every single employee's actions directly affect the end result, the end user. It's it's so interesting. Like once it once it you know what? I'd I'd be curious to see at what stage that stops happening in startups. I've never worked in a startup outside of, you know, the small company that I've started myself that didn't fall into the tech world. Um, but I, I, I wonder sort of at what stage does that shift to where people can start getting sort of the warm blanket of anonymity? Like does that happen at the 50, so, you know, I think actually there is a number. I think it's one one fifty. Um, and the reason I think that is, I was um, reading a book called Sapiens, and it talked about great book. Yeah, have you heard of it? It's it's really awesome. Oh yeah. Um, it talked about cooperation strategy and how at at about one hundred fifty people, like you, you can't have a larger group cooperating without the need of having some fictions. So like, for example, uh, when it, myths, uh, you refer to them in the book, which are an idea, basically, it's not a tangible thing in the, in, the, in the natural world, but we, the humans in the group all believe in that thing. So like law, for example, you don't dig up law in the ground. You don't see some law over there. Mm-hmm. Um, we created this idea yep. in our minds and we, we share this idea in our collective consciousness. And that's what allows us to cooperate in groups that are even larger than you would see in the animal kingdom. And, so then, the group, and then the group chooses to adopt it or not based on – yeah, exactly. Hopefully, hopefully, democratic principles are sometimes it's autocratic, but yeah, yeah, not, not always democratic, but yeah, yeah, um, absolutely, yeah. But you see that happening in in corporations too. When you reach the one hundred and fifty mark, they it's like now they really need an HR department. You know what I mean? They need process. So before then, if you had a problem, you would just walk over to the CTO or the CEO's office and talk to them directly. And now, you know, after that one hundred and fifty mark, you have a series of middle managers and. You have um, processes that need to be followed and implemented and written and so on. And it becomes less nimble when you reach sure. that mark. So, Sure. Now you – and that – so that was Shopkeep. What, what was the size of Shopkeep during what, – what was the growth, I guess, that you saw at Shopkeep when you were there? Yeah. You, when I, you went, it was roughly this and you left, it was this. I believe I came on when it was under 70. I think I came on and they were still hiring a few people and it got up to 70 within a few months of me being there. Okay. But – when I left, I think they were beyond 200. Oh wow! Okay. And they had offices in multiple regions and all that stuff. So it was it was a big team that was being managed at, towards the end of my tenure there. Was it all domestic, or were, were there offices overseas? Yeah, there was an office in Ireland. Ireland's been very uh, smart, I think, in general with attracting tech firms, and um, yeah, they give very good. Uh, what should we call it? Like incentives, low tax incentives for tech firms to set up there. And they had a wealth of really sharp engineers right out of school. So it was very attractive to Shopkeep to set up an office there. 
That's so interesting. You're, you're not the first person that I've heard that from. I, I've, I've been hearing that on a couple of podcasts that I listen to here and there about like there's something going on over there in Ireland. Like they're, 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 doing, they're doing something right to attract a tech scene that a lot of the other areas of Western Europe um, aren't, aren't doing or at least behind, a little bit behind the times in doing. Yeah. In fact, they were, uh, they were sort of like chastised by the European Union who said, basically what they're doing is they're lowering taxes. It's a novel idea. God forbid. <laughs> what they said, like, for example, Apple, they said 15 years ago, Apple moved uh, headquarters there and they got like 1% tax or something and a commitment to have that tax rate for X number of years. And European Union was like, hey, Ireland, you can't do that. That's not fair because, uh, you know, that company could have gone to Germany or, or some other uh, union country. And Ireland's like, hey, we're competing. We're lowering our taxes and competing. Yeah, Apple we're competing. Fair. Sure. Right? So the European Union said, you must charge Apple back taxes for the last 15 years. And Ireland said, uh, no. <laughs> no, thank you. No, thank you. Very, no, thank you very much. Yeah. And that's basically what you're doing. You're like, hey, if you come and set up shop here, we believe you'll add so much to our economy that we're, we're going to lower your taxes to make it make increase your profits. And yeah. what, what that means is now there's a new generation of, you know, Irish software engineers that are coming out of school and they're getting gobbled up by companies that are just starving for talent. Yeah, and not just Apple. I mean, uh, yes, Apple. It sounds like Apple's still there, but they were just they just planted the seed that started that started that move over there. And now you've got little tech little tech startups coming up left and right. And now the now the the population of Ireland are the ones that are benefiting from it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they're, yeah that's great. Getting high earning jobs and so on for that that sacrifice of lower taxes. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's good stuff. Um, so tell tell me a little bit about. So that's sort of your your prog- your professional progression. You've got and you you've since left Shopkeep, um, and you left Shopkeep when you and your lovely wife moved from New York down to Austin. Um, yeah, we, we decided to do something uh, very different and make a change. Um, experience what living on the other side of America is like. And how do you like how do you like Austin so far? Oh, the weather's beautiful, man. It's really hard to complain about that. Uh, so many sunny days. It's nice to just take a walk and get that sunlight, get that vitamin D. Sure. Uh, it's a very dog-friendly city, too. You can go to bars and like outdoor cafes and stuff, and people have their dogs there. I, God, I'm a, ble- God bless Texas. Yeah, I'm a big fan of dogs, but you know, I tell my, my wife all the time, it's not really appropriate for me to go up to another man and his dog and be like, hey, doggy. Hey, doggy. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I fight the urge to do that uh, often. <laughs> do, do, you got, do you guys have a dog yet? Uh, we, we decided not to get one, actually, just because we weren't ready for that commitment. Got it. But we certainly thought about it. It's, you know, it's like the thing to do down here. I understand. <laughs> yeah, I've I visited Austin a couple of times um, to visit a couple of potential graduate schools down there, and then also a, a business trip that I, that took me down there. I love the city; it's beautiful. Like it's beautiful. The culture's great. The food's incredible. The music's incredible. Um, yeah, no, big fan of Austin. So the one of, one of the other things that we like to talk about at you know here at Small Moves is the fact that. Really, every every area of life, or I guess any activity that 
one would do in their lives would generally fall into one of five buckets um, that, you know, bucket one is either fitness or nutrition or call it more generally health related. Then there's, you know, your personal finance or savings, basically what one does with the money that they currently have. Uh, then there's sort of jobs or entrepreneurship or work. Um, that's sort of what you're doing to make active new money that you don't currently have. Mm-hmm. Then, then there's relationships, whether that be friend, you know, the relations you have with friends or family. And then the last one is just a little bit more of a catch-all, which is sort of hobbies and personal interests, like stuff you do with your free time when you're not busy doing one of the other four. Um, and I know, I know that you, you, you and I share a little, you and I share one particular interest in that category, which is uh, Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. I think what, what have you, have you kept up with that at all since you moved to Texas or are you in a little bit of a break? Uh, I'm definitely a little bit of a break. And I think overall in general, my, I haven't been very consistent with Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. Um, so uh, I, I certainly like it. I enjoy it quite a bit. And I think what I came to a realization was I'm not really interested enough to put in the required time to become very good at it. So I accept the, the mediocre like accomplishments that I've made, um, what I've learned and my skill level. I accept that, you know, the limiting factor is that I'm not willing to put more time into it. Sure. But from the time I have put, like, I, I love it. It's, it's transformed the way I think about martial arts in general. Yeah, I I I love it. I I I like I like you haven't had been able to put in all the time that I need to go, to be particularly great at it. Uh but then but then again, I also only really came across it about a year and a half ago. And a year and a half is nothing in the grand scheme of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Like in whether it be a hobby or something that you're taking even more seriously than a hobby, a year and a half is still nothing in the grand scheme of things. Yeah. But, you Uh, know, in terms of like small moves, um, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu did have um, like a bit of an influence on me in terms of like uh, showing commitment. So um, when in the beginning, when I go to Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu class, I was faced up against people who, you know, we're working out since they were in high school and are much more athletic in their, their lives. And what you end up happening is you, you'll you do some training and you do some, some live rolling and you'll lose or you'll win some of those matches. Mm-hmm. And more often than not, I would lose those matches. Of course, yeah, right? as we all do when we're starting. Of course, as, you, as a beginner. And um, what I realized, I, I wondered if my lack of participation in high school sports you know, was a disservice because I wasn't prepared for, you know, losing. When I'd lose a match, I would think about it. I wouldn't be depressed. I wasn't, wasn't sad or anything, but I would be, it would be on my mind. Sure. I would be like, I remember one particular uh, match, a guy went into what's called the north-south position. And I was like, I don't even know what to do here. I don't know what to do. <laughs> like, is this, like, I've never even thought about this before. And so it drove me to consume information. Um, I like Stefan Kesting videos a lot, and he has a great 
app out too with uh, uh, moves and how they connect and so on. But it drove me to like watch YouTube and to drill and to think about this thing. Even when I was just doing something idle, like you're walking to the coffee shop and you're just thinking like, oh, I need to tuck properly, I need to shrimp, I need to do all these uh, moves in order to um, win that match. And what would happen is the next time I'd go uh, uh, spar with someone, I would notice we'd be better, at least to myself, I'd know I'd gotten better because the things that frustrated me before were no longer frustrating. I understood what to do. And it was sort of like, uh, because of that feeling of, man, I lost, you know, I need to understand why I lost it. That's what was motivating to me to actually like learn more (laughs) jujitsu. Yeah. And it's, it's funny because that for me, I had, I had a similar experience when I was starting, but the jujitsu is so much more mental than it is physical. It's incredible. Like I, I've been, I've the, the, the limited amount of time that I've been able to put into it. I've been able to apply the thought process of, well, basically there is an unlimited amount of options and an unlimited number of directions that you can go. And there's an unlimited amount of responses that your partner can do to any given thing that you do. I mean, life is freaking mental jujitsu. That's really all it is. Like it really is. I mean, it's, it's so funny. Um, yeah. Cause it, the, you and one of the greatest things that I've noticed about it, and I know everybody that's listening, we're getting off on a little bit of a tangent. That's okay. Got like learn to love me anyway. Um, the 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 interesting thing that I've learned from it is you become a lot more comfortable with failure and not complacent with failure. That's a that's different. Complacent with failure is one thing, but understanding that. You're going to fail. You're going to fail at some point along the way as you're learning something in a grander scheme. Like that's that's something that jujitsu almost literally bangs into your head, or in my case, my throat. Um, the, the the on a on a day to day basis as you're practicing it, it lets you know it's like, hey, I'm learning something. I learned what not to do here. I learned that, hey, if I want to try and get you know take you know take this you know, get around this person's guard, or if I'm going to try and get out this way, I'm going to get caught in a rear naked choke. It's going to happen. It, like there, there's nothing that you can do to avoid it. Um, except for just keep, keep that, on uh, coming back. Yeah. That culture of like accepting failure, I think also applies very well in the business world. If you have, I mean, I know this in terms of, uh, software, um, when you have teams that you encourage a little bit of experimentation, um, and you're sort of like open to talking about, hey, we tried this and it didn't work. And this was harder than we thought. And, you know, being able to sort of say those things in the business world, I think is really important. You know, the culture that I've moved into with JobKeep is this like extreme programming culture where you have morning standups. And in a standup in the morning, you you sort of tell what is your commitment for today? What am I going to accomplish today? And, you know, did I meet my commitment yesterday? And, you know, having people realize it's okay for them to say, hey, I was trying to, I, I tried to, I committed to doing this yesterday and I tried and I failed. Um, this task is two times as complex as I thought it was. Yep. Having the comfort where the, the business culture you're in, it's okay to say that, um, I think is really important. Um, for building like just the employee happiness, but also like uh, allowing your team to really kind of flex and 
find new possibilities um, for you to be in. Sure. Yeah. The, um, and, and I noticed, I I've noticed, um, in talking with, and ju- just full disclosure, and I get just very briefly, I mentioned it in our intro, but you and I met through my wife, um, who you guys were friends going back to college. And the, one of the, one of the most interesting things that, she's pointed out to me when, you know, we talked about you coming on the show was the, I remember, let's rewind about 10 minutes. You mentioned about when we were looking at getting into Brazilian jiu-jitsu, you noticed that you weren't particularly athletic when you were in high school. And was that something that hurt you? Clearly, as the last maybe six to eight years have shown, it's not quite too late to get into certain activities that a lot of people think, well, I didn't start when I was in my teens, so I guess it's too late. I'll just sit here on the couch and watch football. Um, like, what? What are some? I mean, what are some of the other stuff that's that you've been able to sort of squeeze into your time? Like, you didn't used to be particularly physically active. Now you are. How? Like, what? What do you? What are you doing now that's different? I know you took up skiing, which is something that you and you and and uh, Carrie really take, both took to. Um, sort of like what, what, what got you into like the different things, whether it be different workout routines or, you know, not either giving up drinking or not drinking as much or like what, what was that? What sort of was that transition? Um, and was there a transition period or was it just, you know, Hey, you one, one night in your sleep, you got struck by lightning, you woke up and then all of a sudden you, he's like, you never turned a computer on again. You never, you know, drank an, you never drank another ounce of alcohol. And then all of a sudden you became Arnold Schwarzenegger. Like what happened? Like, I think it, it started sort of like I had a, a mindset and this is all the way back when I first moved to the city and working with HBO. I must've, I must've gotten this from that, like Morgan Spurlock, like McDonald's 30 day challenge. Um, where he ate nothing but Big Macs for 30 days. That because, was great. That was a great show. Yeah, I must. I think I got it from that that show um, because what I what I realized was when you set a time limit on something new, it doesn't seem as daunting anymore. So I I made these 30 day commitments to do things when I lived in the city and in New York. And for example, I for one month I would eat only uh, vegan. And I remember during that time, I would walk by, walk from my, my job to back to my apartment. And there's this pizza place that, you know, just brick oven pizza had this amazing scent. You know, you could smell it down the block. Uh-huh. And I walked by this place and I took in the scents and I pretended to eat a pizza. And I basically standed, stood right outside the pizzeria <laughs> looking like a weirdo. But I was pretending to eat a slice of pizza and I was enjoying it. I was, I was visibly chewing. <laughs> uh, and, and But, you know, I had I had like, you know, 15 more days to go or whatever it was. And so I just moved on. But it was interesting because if I was in that moment thinking, wait, I could never have pizza again. Like, there's no way I would have broke. But, you know, I only had 15 more days. Come on, I can do it, you know. Um, but having that that time limit, I think, made all the difference. And so I would do a bunch of these 30-day challenges with myself just for fun. So I already had this kind of mentality of, hey, trying new things is okay because it's not a lifetime commitment. It's okay to try. Sure. You know? And sure. I, 
I tried skiing with some uh, with my my family, but I wasn't particularly good at it, and I didn't understand why it was fun. Kept <laughs> falling all the time, you know. In skiing, you fall a couple times, and it's like all of a sudden you're you're really tired. You don't realize what getting up and standing up after falling uh, does to you. Wearing all the wearing fifty layers of clothes and all the equipment, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I didn't understand why everyone else was having such a good time. But only till uh, Carrie gave me what basically amounted to a few hundred dollars of free ski lessons, you know, um, basically like a, a day or two of just like, hey, just follow me and, and some training that I just I got it. It clicked and I understood why it was fun. And then I sort of got into the, hey, I want to get good at this. So I know. I know I've got to make a time commitment. Um, I know it's got, it can't be like forever. I don't know if I'm really going to enjoy this or not, but I got to make a time commitment. When the season comes in, I have to go every weekend or else I'm not going to get good. So, yeah. yeah. And it was helpful living where you were living too, because being, being in New York, you've got, I don't want to say ready access, but it's, it's a lot easier to get to decent skiing from up there than it is in certain areas of the world. So that did, that did help, I'm sure. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, even if you go to a, a terrible slope, you can just look at that as the challenge for the day. Hey, I'm going to learn to ski on ice without falling too much today, <laughs> you know? Um, but yeah, having easy access is definitely good. But, you know, I think an important part of that too is I, I had a small crew as well. So, you know, we like to take the trip, trips up to Vermont and rent a house sometimes and so on. Um, but having a bunch of other friends that are also interested in it, you know, kind of makes it makes it fun, too. Yeah. So ba- so ha- have account have accountability. And that, the, and I don't know if that group started, you know, that that group started with the with the official purpose of, hey, let's get together as a group and we're always going to go together and we're always going to make sure that everybody goes. And what, like, I don't know if it w- it sounds like it probably wasn't started with that stern of a purpose, but that's what it ended up being. It's like, hey, we're going every weekend. If somebody didn't go, they probably caught a lot of crap if they didn't go, you know, so it ends up being something that holds you accountable. Yeah. So yeah, it, it, it sort of organically uh, developed into something like that. It's um, it, it was more like, hey, we're going skiing. What are you guys doing this week? What are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah. And it, that, that brings back – it's funny. That, that circles back to that book, Sapiens, that you mentioned about, you know, that's, that's your tri- – it becomes your tribe. It's like, well, my, my tribe, we do this on the weekends during – this time of year. And if you don't go, you know, you don't want to say that you become a social outcast, but you become a little bit of a social outcast. If that's what, if that's what, if this is what the tribe does and then you choose not to do it, well, then you're no longer part of the tribe. Yeah. And, and everyone else in the tribe is getting better at uh-huh. doing their task and you're getting left behind. Yep, absolutely. So no, it's it's de- yeah no fi- finding finding a little finding a crew like the way you put it a crew or a tribe or whatever you want to call it uh, centered around the stuff that you want to do. It's amazing how much it helps. It really is. Yeah. And your tribe can be multifaceted, so you can have like a skiing crew and a jujitsu crew and you know so on your foodie crew and so on. So you can have different groups of people, but um, it's you know doing those activities with them is really what's rewarding. You know. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, do, doing doing stuff for yourself is one. It is wonderful, but it's so much better when you can ha- when you're part of an entire group that's, that's doing stuff. So let, let's let's go back to you know so some of the now real quick. Um, Angel, your lovely wife, mm-hmm. 
She she skis as well. Did she what? She skis with you now, correct? So when she first started, uh, uh, when she when we were first dating, actually, she didn't ski at all. Okay. And I had sort of imparted some of my wisdom about um, if you want this to be fun, you have to get good at it first, right? You have to learn like some basics so that you're comfortable on the slopes, and you're not going to do that by going once a year. Sure. So I we made a commitment together to go. Um, 16 times in a season. So that was basically, you know, four months worth of skiing. So every weekend, uh, we would drive up four hour drive to Vermont. Um, and we'd ski the day and, and uh, sometimes ski two days. But we made a commitment to do that. And she made that commitment with me. And it's not an easy thing when you think about it, because you're yeah, talking everybody. about missing out on, you know, birthday parties and basically anything that happens, any kind of event that anyone else is planning is like, oh, sorry, I've re- I already have plans. Sure. And it, and it's it's eight hours of round trip driving every weekend for more than for four months. So that's a that's Absolutely. a lot of time. Yeah. And, and you know, you you get your, play, your, your playlist, your playlist is only so long. Like yeah. You start you start getting tired of your favorite music. <laughs> exactly. Well, in fact, well, we, we actually started listening to audiobooks. So books like Sapiens, for example, and Third Chimpanzee um, by Jared Diamond, we we both agreed to listen to those books. And once you've had this common set, those drives go so much faster when you're, you know, you're listening to an audiobook. What was it? What was that last book that you mentioned by Jared Diamond? Uh, the Third Chimpanzee. The third chimpanzee. Yeah, yeah. Tell, tell me, tell me. I hadn't heard about that one. Tell me about that. Um, so he talks a little bit about how, um, in a sense, we're the third chimpanzee because he looks at the behaviors of um, the other our, our cousins and um, sort of extrapolates from that what humans are designed to do. And so you can ask questions like, are humans designed to be monogamous, right? Some people are like, is that, that feel that this is an interesting question. And he looks at the behavior patterns of the other apes and, and, and so on, and sort of infers from that, what should our behavior be like? Mm-hmm. Um, so that that's what the, the book is sort of about. It's about more than that, too. It's just one thing that reminded me of. But... Yeah, we we, yeah, we if that was if that was it, it would be in the relationship <laughs> section of Barnes and Noble, and that would be it. Yeah, no, there's more to it than that, sure. <laughs> yeah. And um, we basically agreed to listen to those books, and we you know do our drive early Saturday morning, so we didn't have to book an extra hotel room for Friday night, and we'd ski all day, and like we'd get really good at it at, at that sort of like process. But after a season of skiing, she went from zero to hero. Like she could hang with the crew, you know, she can, she was comfortable on, on her skis and able to do a couple of runs by herself if she wanted to and, and challenge herself to runs that she knew were a little bit harder. And, you know, it's only because she made that commitment, you know, not just me, she made that commitment to like, okay, I'm going to get good at this. I'm going to try. And if after the season, I don't like doing this anymore, I, I don't have to, you know, the, the temporal nature of it, like it's. There's a there's an end time to this commitment made it easy to commit to. Sure. You know? Yeah, kind of get, getting back to those 30 day challenges you were mentioning like that. I think that's a so so far in this conversation, that's actually one of the biggest takeaways that I that I'd say for for the audience to hear is this idea of 30 day challenges. That's a really great idea. Like that, I I was doing something similar when it comes to uh, fasting. Like I I I came across the idea of 
doing water fasts for, in some cases, you know, two, three, four days at a time. And, you know, you, you talk, you talk to certain people about it. Most people think that you're insane. Uh, it's like, if you don't, if, it's like, if you don't live, if you don't live in a landlocked Republic somewhere in the, in the middle of Africa or, you know, some, some place in the desert where there is no food and is no water and, you have access to you have access to food and water, and you proactively choose not to use it. Most people think that you're you've gone a little bit nutty. Um, at least that that was my experience. But it's a like all of the health benefits that I've heard about it made it at least worth giving a shot. And my God, does it make you feel better? Like I don't know I don't know if you've experimented with it at all. I have actually, yeah. Um yeah, so now I mean at this stage I do once a month I do a 3-day water fast. Uh just to kind of give my, you know, just kind of kickstart kickstart my system, you know, hit the reset button on a relatively frequent basis. Like there's a lot of science behind, you know, the idea of doing uh, periodic periodic fasting or intermittent fasting as it's sometimes lumped into. Mm-hmm. Um, but I did it in the same way. I was like, I don't know how this is going to go. I think it's a little scary. Um, no food. I'm going to be hungry. What's this key? You know, what do you, what do you mean ketones? Like, what do you, what do you mean that that's going to kick in? At what point will it be? Well, when it does, you won't be hungry anymore. Well, when's that going to be? Well, it might be sometime in the first day. It could take up to the third day. I'm like, oh my God, I'm going to die. But you know what? I gave it a shot once to see how it worked. And it the 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 whole it didn't kill you <laughs> it didn't it didn't kill me believe it or not it was like after it was like three days with no food guess what I'm still alive um, and feeling better than I did before I, I actually so I, I consume information by Dr Alan Goldhammer I don't know if you've um, read his stuff too no let me let me write that down oh man so he he has a book called the Pleasure Trap and it's just so enlightening it's like. I, you know, it very clearly you can come away from reading his stuff and understand like why people eat the way they eat, why you feel the way you feel. And um, he actually runs a center, True North Health Center, I think, in uh, California, and they've fasted like thousands, tens of thousands of people. Wow. And so, like, the, when when people when you talk so much fasting, like I told my sister about it, she's like, "Man, I can't imagine going out food for three hours." You're talking about three days? Are you kidding? <laughs> Right. Um, but well, there, they, there's so much, there's so much contrary information that's out there. It's like, well, no, the best is like the mo- the way to be the most healthy is for you to eat every two to three hours, you know, around the clock. And then there's one, yeah, yeah. there's ones that are like, no, you should really only eat once a day. Otherwise your intestinal tract is constantly inflamed because it's constantly working. It's like, yes, but if you eat more frequently, it keeps your metabolism going because it knows that your body's going to say, yes, but if you don't eat more than more, if you eat more than once a day, then you're going to get bloated and da da da. Like the, the, there's quote unquote experts on every angle saying that their way is the way it's so funny to watch. But, but you know, like you've, you've probably experienced this when you, when you do a fast, you have to make a commitment in the beginning because I don't know about you, but like if, if I committed to a three day fast, yep. I can rationalize my way out of this fast in like the first couple hours. Oh, right? hell yeah. I could be like, well, hell you know, yeah. I'm getting a little weak, <laughs> you know, maybe you should stop. You can find any reason to like break your fast. Absolutely. And yeah. I feel like in the beginning you have to say, I'm doing this for, X number of hours and I, I'm not allowed to 
let anything else change my mind. You have to commit because, especially if you're talking longer fast, imagine day four and someone's like, hey man, let's go, let's go to Applebee's, you know, get some jalapeno poppers and stuff, you know? You're like, well, okay, I already did, I already did enough. I already did enough. Let's go. You can, you can so, you can break so easy. Your body is, you know, like hungry. So you have to sort of make this commitment. Like, no, I'm going to do five days and it's going to suck. It's going to be uncomfortable and I'm going to give up opportunities to go eat my favorite foods. Yep. But it's not forever. It's It's not forever. Absolutely. It ends and I'm counting down, but it will end. (laughs) Yeah. It's like if if you want to, if you want to, if it, if it helps you take a Sharpie, write it on the inside of your wrist. It is like this will end Sunday night at 6 p.m. If you like, if you want to make the experience even more interesting, make sure you don't take a shower during all those days so it doesn't get washed off. Um, <laughs> yeah. It's like your, your significant others and your friends will love you for it. I promise. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, but no, it's true. But w- when the, I, I'm I I proselytize about about doing you know three day water fasts to to people whenever it come remotely close to comes up in conversation i start talking about it some of the people around me are probably getting a little annoyed by it and i do apologize but then again not really um but it is it's so true because like for me like the the first 24 hour my first time doing it the first time i experimented with it was it was going to be for 3 days start thursday evening run through sunday night and that was that was what that was the cycle that i was going to do the first 24 hours were tough like 20 to 24 hours were tough you started to feel hungry like i had dinner thursday and then i slept through the night you were obviously we didn't feel anything skip breakfast by around maybe 10 or 11 o'clock in the morning the next day i was starting to feel hungry like it was really starting to sort of hit me then yeah. but the the staying over, sleeping overnight helped obviously that took a giant chunk of time but then starting around the 4 to 6 p.m. time frame of that second day that friday um the i was i was monitoring my blood ketones at the time so i i sort of had a running idea of what was going on in my body and that's when the uh the ketones in my blood started to pick up and the hunger Almost like somebody flipped a switch. My hunger went away. My energy level shot through the roof. I had trouble sleeping for good reasons in that my brain was hyper-focused and hyperactive and wanted to work. Mm-hmm. And it stayed. I stayed that way through the entire remaining period of the fast. So much so. And by the by Saturday afternoon, I was feeling so incredible. I felt like I could lift up my house. And then come come Sunday, which was the day that I was supposed to be breaking my fast, coming down to like I was going to be breaking it around six o'clock on Sunday. Come three o'clock, four o'clock, five o'clock, as I was getting closer, when that was happening, I was anticipating that I was going to start feeling hungry because I knew the end was in sight. In- instead, I was like, you know what? I feel great. I'm going to go till tomorrow. And I did. And I like I, I was fine the next day. I was fine the entire next day. So I went an extra 24 hours, you know, me- meanwhile, feeling perfectly fine. Now, everybody that's listening, please keep in mind, I'm not a doctor. I don't play one on the internet. Don't take my advice for this. Talk to your doctor. But this was this was just my personal experience, and I had a phenomenal experience with it. It made me feel incredible. Um, but if anybody's interested in 
trying out something like this, please do your research about properly doing a three-day fast. Make sure that you're drinking massive amounts of water and monitoring your blood ketones if you can. There are products online that can help you do that. I'll link to them in the show notes. Um, I would add to what you're saying too. Like It's always good to talk to your doctor, but a lot of times you'll find your doctor is actually not informed about these type of things and you should actually do your research first. That's been my experience as well, yeah. Yeah. So like having your doctor uh, monitor, do some blood work, that's great. Um, but like if you check out Dr. Alan Goldhammer, I think Dr. Jason Fung, these guys are like pioneers in, in this field where they're realizing that fasting is, is really good for you. Yeah. Um, and in fact, even I think they got a paper published that, uh, recently that shows how chemotherapies improve the fasting and there's some companies. Oh that yeah, the, the, um, Doctor Doctor Dom Diagostino talks about that a lot with his research into uh, the ketogenic diet. Uh, so him and Doctor Peter Atia out of uh, California, they they talk about th- those those benefits a lot. I'm gonna I'm gonna link to all like all four of these doctors, like D- D- yeah, Diag- yeah. Diagostino Atia. Uh, you said Doctor Goldhammer, and you mentioned uh, Doctor Hung. Who is that? Uh, Doctor Jason Fung, and. Uh, the thing I like about these guys is you can consume some videos for them on YouTube and then buy the book if you like, if you, you know, enjoy their content. So you can easily preview this stuff for free in the comfort of your own home and um, see what they're talking about. But yeah, a lot of times you'll find that your your doctor has never heard of this. <laughs> Absolutely. Or or, or they, they have the more com- more common response, which is, well, that's not good for you. It's like, well, well, what's what's the basis behind that recommendation? It's like, well, just not eating is not good for you. I'm like, show me the research, please. Like, give me the number. Like, tell me the numbers. I'm a numbers person. Please, God, show me the numbers. And like so few people rely on the actual science behind this stuff or they rely on science that's based on you know, publicity advertisements that went around the New York Times 50 years ago. Well, about- it, it, it's funny you say that because it actually reminds me of an article a friend shared with me. It was very recent. Um, in fact, two of my friends independently shared two different articles on the same subject, which is, which is uh, why don't people change their mind um, based on facts? So uh, you can those tell pe- some those pesky little things. Yeah, you could tell someone uh, intellectually um, you know, this is the way things are. According to statistics, this is the way things are. But um, they won't necessarily change your mind. Um, in fact, more often than not, they don't change your mind based on information. And to me, I feel that some of that is a little bit alien to me because I, I very, I'm very flexible based on data. I'm, I'm very interested. Like, oh, this data is new and is interesting, and it's it's you know peer reviewed. I should hold. I should give it good weight. But uh, most people don't think like that. And I think the article, uh, the thing that resonated with me is it, it talked about why we develop reason, like, mm-hmm. what the, you know, the brain process of reasoning. Why would, did we develop that? It wasn't to, like, solve math problems or engineer buildings and cars and so on. It was really to help us navigate living in a small tribe you know i like the word use tribe because it's like you have this group and you identify with them and living in that group and stopping people from freeloading and determining who's a liar and who's honest um that's where our faculties of reason sort of like evolved from and so i think it can sort of help you understand like 
you you're very much motivated to interact fairly and interact well and have good standing in a small tribe mm-hmm. you know so like if if you're trying to do some sort of change in your life um and you're like hey i want to exercise more and i read this fact about walking you know that's not enough most of the times to get you to start doing that thing sure it's it's got to be like well i've got a group of people and you know we i'm i'm sort of going to improve my standing if i was to be a bit more fit so you know i'm incentivized to like find find some facts that will allow me to do that but the motivation wasn't the fact itself right that was more like the tool sure the motivation is what is my standing in this group so it, that it was really interesting article that sort of like touched on like why why are we so lazy all the time really you know yeah, like it, it's funny that that reminds me of a um, a comment that my guest back in episode four of the show, uh, Corey Smith, was something that he mentioned in his conversation with me about because he's a running coach, he's a professional running coach, and he mentioned in that episode about the, of the people that come to him for coaching, the ones that tend to quit the easiest are the ones that are coming just for the general reason of I'd want to lose weight or I want to get fit. He said the, the, the huge percentage of people that tend to stick with it and achieve the goals that they set are because they have registered for an event or a race. It's like, Hey, in six months from now, I want to be able to run a half marathon or, you know, whether, or even if it's not, purely a race if it's more of more like the spart the spartan type races or the tough mutters or whatever it is like for people that are like the by when fitness is the byproduct to the actual achievement that's when it tends to stick it's like yes you happen to get fit when you're training every day for eight months for you know a 15 mile tough mutter race it's like you didn't go into it and say you know what i'd like to get fit because one day i'd like to actually do this race well one day never happens and the fitness part never happens just because there's no time frame to it kind of gets back again to your 30-day challenge idea it's like the the the, the the reality that what we're doing has to be tied to specific goals with specific time frames is really the only stuff that sticks. I know Corey meant, was harping on that pretty strong in his episode, and it is. It's a great point. And I think the, the thing, though, about those goals, though, is that they they have to involve people. I think that's the way, at least that's the, the article is suggesting, and I, I think is compelling, is that that's the way we're actually built. You know, we're designed to... Um, interact in small groups. So doing the Tough Mudder, like making that commitment means I'm running with my friends. You know, Tough Mudder is like a cooperative mud race where it's not your individual time that matters. It's like your group time, right? Yes. As opposed to like a Spartan race where it's like it's individual, right? And it's interesting because like you, that that commitment I think becomes strong because it's like I'm with my buddy. I don't want to let my team down. I don't want to be the guy that's like, oh, I didn't, you know, train to do the pull up, so I can't, you know, help you on this course. And yep. So now, now I'm going to let down, now. people down. Yep. Yeah, and I think that that's an important part. I think the most success I've ever had was running, was all the way back in college where I had two buddies and we made this pact 
for a semester. Again, there's always a te- there's always a temporal aspect, right? It doesn't last forever. But it was like the rest of the semester, um, we would run like two miles a day or something like that. But if at any there's three of us total, and if at any any day any morning, um, one of us felt like going, all three of us had to go. So there's always going to be a day where you're like, I'm not running today. I don't want to do this. Damn it. Sure. <laughs> but there's two other people involved, and it's a high probability that one of them is going to be like, I feel great. <laughs> you know, <laughs> let, let's go run. And you know, and we would alternate. We'd all switch between those roles daily of who wanted to go and who didn't want to go. But we made it packed. As long as there was one of us that wanted to go, we would go. And we ran every day for the semester. <laughs> and it's not like you had a schedule. It's like, okay, today, today, Arvin, you're going to be the cheerleader. Tomorrow, Jason, you're going to be the cheerleader. It didn't happen that way. It just sort of happened right. because and that's fact, what we committed it was, to. Yeah. It was a perfectly legitimate outcome to be like, hey, all three of us feel crappy today and we're not going to run. It just didn't happen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like statistically, it should happen, you know, and it, given a long enough time period, it would. But there was always there was always one guy, and I remember sometimes that was me. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. I know it is. It's funny. It's like because that because then like especially if you've got a decent enough tribe, there's always going to be somebody that's gonna just step off the step off the cliff and jump. And just because we're egotistical maniacs, all of us. We're like, well, I'm not. He's like, I'm not going to let Arvin out perform me today. And then you just go, even though, even though I'm hacking up a lung, or just I'm tired, and I, or I was up four times with the baby last night, or whatever it is. I'm like, I'm not going to. He's like, I'm not going to let him outdo me today. No way. No. 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 And it just that's how it that, happened. That yeah. actually motivates you, and and then you would consume the facts, right? Then you would be like, all right. How can I run more efficiently? How can I, what, what is the right diet for running? And so then you start to consume facts, but it wasn't those facts in and of themselves that motivated you to run. It was, I'm not going to let, I'm not going to look like a chump today in front yep. of my butt. <laughs> you know, <laughs> N- none of them have, have the, a baby to deal with, but they're not going to take that as an excuse. They're yeah, going to just be like, oh, Jason's falling behind again. And it's funny because they, and especially it's almost more powerful getting in a group that like, in my case, I actually, like, I have two daughters, you know, that are under the age of three. Like, it's like, you guys don't have kids, but it's almost even more helpful for me to get into a group with someone like you, because you don't have kids. You don't understand how difficult it is, Mm -hmm. but you also don't care either. It's yeah, like, because you're like, like, oh, wow, get up. It's like, get up and ju- it's like, but I was up four times last night. I don't care. Get up and run. It's like, uh-huh. OK, but I'm still not going to let you outdo me. So I'm going to get up and do it anyway. <laughs> exactly. It's, it's like sometimes you need your friends not to have too much sympathy for you and just like, you know, have a little bit of tough love. Let's go compete. Let's go, you know. Let's go challenge each other. Yeah, I love, I love, I love this idea of the thirty day challenge. So I'm, I'm, I honestly, I think that this might be a good, pl- good point to wrap up. Um, just sort of su- summar- summarizing, you know, there, you, you made, by all accounts, a shocking transformation in your life from, you know, fi- let's just call them more introverted hobbies of, you know, whether it be, 
gaming or programming or whatever it might be. You mentioned about not being particularly active in high school to now you're working out all the time. You're sometimes you are sometimes not doing Brazilian jujitsu. You're skiing way more than the average person does. You know, I mean, this this is all this is all stuff that is awesome, at least in my opinion, it's awesome. And it's, it's something that it sounds like the basis behind the entire transformation was just, you know what, I want to try something different and see what happens. And if I hate it, I hate it. If I love it, I love it. Um, I think that's a really good takeaway for people that that are listening to this show. Because remember, people that, you know, guys, if you're, if you're listening, there's nothing particularly expertise, you know, behind what Arvin's saying. He's not a professional. He's not a psychologist. He's not, you know, a fitness, you know, he's not a fitness guru. He's not, you know, he's not any of the things where you would expect to see mountains of usable information. If you're, if you're purely scientific based, you wouldn't expect that massive amounts of this information to come from a source like me or a source like Arvin, but he found us a formula that worked because it was a s- small little tweaks and small little challenges over time. Um, do before we sign off, do, is there anything that you think we missed that you want to make sure that the audience gets a chance to hear? Um, there is a quote I recently heard. I don't know where it's from, but I'd like to leave uh, leave you with it. It goes, um, no one ever looks back and says, man, I wish I'd done less. <laughs> <laughs> right? When, when you take that time to introspect, you, you, you know, you almost chastise yourself for not doing enough. So... Yeah, no, that's great. Oh, uh, one last quick question, um, and this this is a question that I like to ask all the guests um, of the show. Kind of getting back to the concept of small moves encompassing a lot of different areas of life. Um, you you know you and Angel have gone through a lot. You got you moved across the country. You moved to a city where you didn't really know anybody. You've taken on jobs with big corporations. You've taken on jobs for startups. You have taken on new hobbies that have flourished into, you know, these, all these new talents. A question that I like to ask everybody is, and it doesn't have to be limited to anything specifically that we've already talked about. You can expand out if you'd like, um, is the, it's a question that I kind of liberated from one of my favorite podcasts. Uh, but I just think it's, it just hits the note so well for the theme of this show. And that's if you can think of it in recent memory, what purchase have you made that was a hundred dollars or less that's had the most dramatic impact in some area of your life? Um, It could be professionally. It could be socially. It could be a new app. It could be, you know, the, the, uh, custom, custom bindings for your ski. It could be anything like, but uh, keep it to a hundred bucks or less. What do you, what would that be if you had to think about it? Um, that's tough. I, so my, my spending pattern is actually a little interesting. Um, I don't buy lots of small things, so I don't have lots of like $20 expenses that add up. Like, Hey, here's a new shirt. Here's a new pants. When I, uh, buy stuff. It's usually something that's very expensive. Um, the most recent purchase, it's it's going to break your hundred dollar rule. But in comparison, I think you can see why it's it's uh, 
you know, useful. Typically, if you buy a laptop, you'll spend like some $2,000 or something if you want a MacBook Air or whatever, right? Yep. Um, and recently, I brought a, bought a refurbished Chromebook mm-hmm. for $150. So it breaks the rule, technically. <laughs> sure. Um, but I, I took it and I installed um, Linux Mint. I removed Chrome, installed Linux Mint. And I actually use this as a very cheap, very reliable, very fast um, development machine for work, for like software development. Okay. So I install all the programs I need to um, work on there. And I can use this to build programs as I would do with a more powerful machine. Mm-hmm. But it only costs me $150. And what's nice about it, it has sort of the advantages you'd expect from a Chromebook. Like it boots up really quickly and it, the battery lasts a long time. So here in Austin, Texas, it's nice to take this very cheap, very uh, lightweight mobile machine uh, to like a little cafe and just sit down there and, and actually get work done. But the thing is that it's, you can't really like play games or have too many browser tabs open because it's a it's $150 machine, right? It's not going to do all those things really it's well. Not gonna, it's not going to multitask, which is a blessing. Yeah, exactly. You can kind of only work on it, <laughs> which is great because it's like, well, when I have this machine, I'm working, right? I'm not even Facebooking. I'm, I'm working when I have this machine. And that's been a pretty big impact. And, and usually... Like people like, oh, I want a new laptop. It's thousands of dollars and it's like buck fifty and, you know, a couple hours of your time to learn how to install a new operating system and you're there. Yeah. And breaking you, you get, you get credit for breaking the rule. If you break the rule while saving in the, in the example that you made by, by saving $1,850 on your purchase, (laughs) you're you're allowed to break the rule by 50 bucks. I don't mind. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> all right arvin well yeah man th- this is this has been great um as things progress as things progress maybe we can have you back on the show to talk about some some of the more cool stuff that you're doing and um with that i don't want to get into too many details for the you know for the audience because we're not allowed to at the moment but you are going to be moving from austin texas sometime in the near future um because you've gotten involved with a unnamed and non-geographic specific startup um yeah that you'll be start that you'll be starting with sometime soon yeah um it's it's another step in that direction of i want to feel the responsibility and i want the it, it interests me to sort of like be the person that's holding the reins and so i've got a great opportunity an offer i couldn't say no to with um a great company and um great colleagues so we're we're sort of my wife and I have decided we'll make whatever sacrifices are necessary to make that um, to, to to be able to accept that offer because it's it's worth it and I'm lucky in a sense because um, I can have a very reasonable conversation with my wife and say here are the trade offs are you know do you agree with them or not and more often than not she agrees with me. <laughs> so, <laughs> So yeah, um, that's 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 another thing where it's like I I'm looking for a challenge. I'm looking to surround myself with people that I know will challenge me. And you know, like it's just just like you say, you you do the running and you commit to the the mud race. Um, you know, I'm committing to something that I know is going to be hard. It's going to be a lot of work. But the people I 
the people I'm going to be in that tribe with, they're really cool people. Like I'm going to be better in a year because I hung out with these people, you know? So like, um, that's the kind of thinking and trade off, um, when I figure out what the trade-offs are that I make. And yeah, I'm very lucky that my wife also sort of agrees with those principles. Sure. Of course. <laughs> That's awesome. All right, man. Well, I, I appreciate you coming on the show. Uh, next time, mm-hmm. may, maybe we'll circle back around and do another episode once that knowledge becomes public and you get, you're allowed to talk about it a little bit more. Maybe we'll have you back on the show to talk a little bit about it. Yeah. I'd be happy to. Thanks for having me. Yeah, man. Take it easy. Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Small Moves Podcast with my buddy Arvin Budrum. Um, I had a lot of fun with this conversation. I hope you guys really enjoyed listening to it. Arvin's a special guy, as you've, as you've heard in this episode. And I just wanted to hit you with a couple of quick things before you take off. Uh, one, please make sure to follow me on Twitter at uh, twitter.com forward slash Jason Hertzberger. You can find the spelling on the website and then also uh, leave a review for the show on iTunes or Stitcher or Google play. Um, That really does help me out a lot with other people finding the show. Uh, Those systems rely pretty heavily on the reviews and frankly, the number of reviews that are on there for the show to decide whether to feature the show or not in people's uh, search results. So that's really helpful for me. So if you could go ahead and make a review on the show, that would be really helpful. Um, Again, thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate you. This is a fun episode for me, and uh, I hope you enjoyed it. Take care. You got this. Mm-hmm.